Well, we're going to wrap up our series this morning called Brave. And uh, it's a little unusual because we went nine weeks on this. Normally just do six, but we went nine to cover what I really felt the Lord uh, had in my heart. And so today we'll be finishing that up. And then we're going to do with Brave and also with Good Shepherd. Do you remember Good Shepherd, the series I did prior to that? We're looking to uh, make both of those an ebook, an ebook. So you can, uh, you can download and have those. And so that's going to be kind of a cool thing. So we'll keep you posted on the progress of that. And then next week, I'm going to start a brand new series called Brave. No, I'm teasing. I'm going to start a series called Generous Soul. Everybody say Generous Soul. There's a lot of conditions that could be in your soul, and your soul is just absolutely so vital to everything else in your life. And uh, we want to talk about what the Bible has to say about a generous soul, and that's what you want to be as a generous soul. I'm not advocating at all um, uh, trick-or-treating, but I remember as a kid trick-or-treating, you know, maybe you did too, or you're selling light bulbs or something for your school. You know, going door to door in your neighborhood. I mean, even though there was one house you just did not go to because of you know, grumpy, crotchety old old guy. You know, or, you, did y'all not grow up like I grew up? You know, and he did not have a generous soul. You know, turn the sprinkler on at you, yell at you, stuff. And so, uh, we don't want that to be you. Okay, so we'll we'll talk more about that next week. Well, let's dive right in here and brave. Um, just to recap quickly because we've got some important ground to cover um, today. Um, There are some key attitudes and actions. Don't miss that. Attitudes and actions that uh, are prescribed for us by scripture. If they're prescribed for us by scripture, who else prescribed them for us? God. God did. And so prescribed for us by scripture that we know these things, we believe these things, we expect these things, these attitudes and actions in other people. We're looking for other people. You well, you know, your problem is you're not doing this and this and this. And yet, what do we do? We exempt ourselves. We opt out ourselves and feel like, you know, we've got some reason or justification that we don't have to do these things that Scripture says that, that we should do. And I felt like my assignment for this being the ninth week of doing this is to call you out on that and to challenge you on that. So we've called it brave because I've had to be brave. And you have to be brave to take these, these dares and these challenges. And uh, let me just real quickly recap these. I dare you to love, period. I dare you to stop judging others. I dare you to judge yourself. I dare you to forgive. I dare you to receive forgiveness from God. Here's a big one. I dare you to forgive yourself. I dare you to believe I dare you to be a man of God, unless you're a woman. And I dare you to be a woman of God. I dare you to be a person with convictions. I dare you to be a worshiper. And I dare you to cheer up. And today we're going to dive into some new territory. Now, we're going to go to a very familiar passage of Scripture, and I want to caution you always. This is the danger for us that are um, committed and and constantly, you know, in the word in church and so forth. And it's this, it's, it's a, ser- a serious condition, hardness of heart. And, and it happens when we're hearing and handling wonderful, holy things and we don't respond to them properly. When we do that, you start to harden your heart. 
And that is not the place that you ever want to be. So I want you to hear it like you never heard it before. I want you to be excited about it like never before. I'm not asking you to stand and shout or anything like that. I'm just saying on the inside of you, make sure that you keep this real fresh and alert and alive. John 3, verse 16 and 17, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son. I want to zero in on that. Everybody say send. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So God motivated by love. It's important that you see that God motivated by love sent his son. And we made note of that word. And I'm going to put, keep this in front of our eyes and thinking here. God sent his son motivated by love. And here's what love does. Love always endeavors to close the gap between you. So it always, love always tries to close the distance between the one who loves and, and what they love, the object of their love. And that's what God did in his love for us. He sent his son to help close that gap. Let me explain it this way. If you're in the living room and there's something in the refrigerator that you really love, how many of you know you'll work to close that gap, you know, to to get closer to that. Yeah. Well, now that I have your attention, um, that's what God did. That's what we should do is allow that love to, to close that gap. Um, as we look at the Bible and I want to challenge you to do something, this will help you to understand the Bible better as well. Don't just view it as old Testament, new Testament, six, six books, all these authors. Um, you've got law and poetry and wisdom and uh, epistles and gospels and apocalyptic and, you know, and you break it up into all this stuff. And we've got, you know, the different genres and we got the different uh, uh, periods of time and all that kind of stuff. You know, all that's good to know, but here's what you need to do with the Bible. Okay. You need to see this as one big narrative. You see, you need to see this as, as a grand story that God has. That it all actually does fit together. Are oh, you hearing me? This is not just a collection of stuff. This is a grand narrative of God. And in that we find that God has a mission. There's a Latin phrase that's used in theology and it's called missio dei. And it really means this, the mission of God. The mission of God. Let me tell you something. God has a mission. God has a mission. And we, we find out that God is a God to fulfill that mission. God is a God who sends. He sends. God is a God who sends. We see, we see in this narrative, we see that God the Father sent his Son. Then we see God the Father and the Son sending the Spirit. Then we see God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, ready for this, sending the church into the world. Sending, sending, sending. He sent John the Baptist. He sent all over the place. We find that he is Sending. He's a God who sends. He's a God who seeks. And he's a God who saves. And then we as the church say, that's us. You've got to understand this. Whenever we talk about church in, in the scripture, New Testament scripture, we're talking about us corporately together. So that's all believers everywhere in the world that are part of the body of Christ. We're talking about that. And then we're talking about us individually. So the church is we and the church is me. Okay. So it's the church is all y'all and, and it's just me. 
So we've got to view it in that way. Corporately and individually, you know, that we see the church in that way. Well, the church is actually, the, the Greek word for church, ekklesia, actually means called out from. So here we are called out of darkness. Let, let me bump into a couple of scriptures. He called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love. He called us out of, he, he, sent, he, he called us out of death into life. And we could go on and on and on that he has called us out. And so he's called us out of the world. He's called us out of the kingdom of the devil. But then here's what he does. He calls us out. He does something in our life. And then you know what he does? He sends us back into the world. And it's important that we keep this in mind that God has this mission that God is sending. And here's what the church is. The church are, the church is called out and the church is sent out. The church is called out and then the church is, is sent out. And this is part of the very reason, part of the essence of what church is. And part of the very reason for being in the first place of the church. And if not, if not, if we don't bear this in mind, here's what will happen. We will start to get ingrown. And church will become, and it happens all over the place, folks. Church starts to become a holy huddle. And where there's this exclusive little spiritual club. And we got our secret little handshakes and secret language, secret hairdos, all kinds of things that we just kind of do our little thing because we're called out. And that big bad world is evil and lost. We're us and they're them. And God is not wanting to operate that way. He said, now you're in the world, you're not of the world. He said, but I called you out of the world and I did a work in your life. I'm doing a work in your life. And now I want to send you back into the world. And so instead of a holy huddle, what God wants to do is he wants to have us making disciples that are making disciples. Instead of a holy huddle, God is wanting this to be a holy hub. And and you got to watch me for this. This is what's to happen at church. You ready? We are to gather and we are to go. Wait, I'm not done. We are to gather and we are to go. And then we are to gather and then we are to go. And then guess what's next? Then we gather and then we go. And you read scripture and you read it in the bigger bigger picture, you're going to see this, that what he wants us to do is don't forsake the gathering of yourself together of us coming together like this. And then he's sending us out. So when you come in, you're supposed to come in. We are supposed to gather and regroup and get filled and get encouraged and get taught the word of God and fellowship with one another and be discipled. But then we are to what? No, we're to stay in our holy huddle and just live our secret little Christian life and hope no sinners come our way. I remember as a kid, sometimes my parents even would do this. Don't even look over there. There's a bunch of sinners right over there. You know, just. <laughs> Dear Jesus, help us. Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20, it says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. What's the next word? Help me. Go. Go, therefore. 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And there again, we see that we are sent. We see that we are to go. And so church, look at me this this morning. Here's the dare. I dare you to go. Don't leave yet. And don't leave the church. And I'm not saying leave the church. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that. But I'm daring you to go. Go where, Pastor? To reach, to touch, to tell. You're sent where? To the world. To people that are away from God. That live right all around you all the time. In Isaiah chapter 6 verse 8 in the message it says, Then I heard the voice of the Master. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? I spoke up. I'll go. Send me. And I pray that that's your attitude today. I'll go. I'll go. Send me. Everybody just practice it. I'll go. Send me. And, and what this has to do with is that we're ambassadors. We're ambassadors for the kingdom of God. Do you, do you realize this? That those of you that have received Jesus as Savior, that we call ourselves saved, did you realize this, that he saved you, but then he left you here? So that's part of his mission. And he doesn't want us to just move up in the mountains and make our own crayons and grow, you know, make our own Play-Doh and have green beans and, you know, just have our little, our little secret whatever. Are y'all, are y'all with me? Did that hit too close to home for any of y'all? No, I'm teasing. <laughs> He didn't call us to do that. Again, he called us out and now he's, he's sending us right back out into the world. And we gather and we go and we gather and we go and we gather and we go. And we are ambassadors of his kingdom. We're ambassadors of his love. We are fishers of men. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you rich and a rock star. No, Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And and listen to me, either we catch men alive or the devil will catch men alive. And he sent us out to to do that. And the people, and this is the thing, a lot of people, I don't want to do that because they've watched it modeled wrong. And they think that if, if I go, if I start to reach out that I have to tomorrow at work, stand on the table in the break room and preach at everybody, or I've got to get a sign and I've got to shout at traffic, or I, I've got to change my hair and my voice and start my own ministry. And, and no, you don't. And I got to do something weird. No. And as a matter of fact, please don't do something weird. What God wants to do is take you right where you are, where you live, where you work, where you play, where you shop, where you travel. He wants to take you. He wants to gather. He wants to do something in you. And then he wants to send you out and you just be you on God's mission. And we'll show you some ways to help this because there there are people that have to be reached. God has already strategically placed you. And let me just talk to Meadowbrook here. God has already strategically placed you all over this community. I mean, it cracks me up and it warms my heart. I'll talk to people all the time and they're new to Meadowbrook. And I'll say, how is it that you came to Meadowbrook? How did, how did you hear of Meadowbrook? Uh, about two weeks ago, I, I had a couple say, how did we hear? That's all we heard. <laughs> and it's like they moved here and they went to, went to get their insurance set up. They went to get their car repaired. They went to do this. They went to the doctor. They went and got their hair done. They went all this stuff and just everywhere they went, just everywhere they went. There were sweet people that said something about, hey, do you have a church? New to the area, do you have a church? I got a great church. I'd love to have you come to my church. And, and they said, so how could we not? And so I said, well, I'm glad you're here. Hope you enjoy it. 
you know, even though they're here. But, but see, look what God has already done. He's already strategically placed you in all these, all these places. And let me just insert this real quick. Maybe you're saying, I hate my job. I hate everywhere I work with. I hate where I live. You know what? Relax with that a little bit because God might just have you there just for a season so you can run into somebody. So don't rush that. Don't rush that. Okay. Pray about it for sure. Cheer up for sure, but don't rush it. And here's, here's the deal. You need to just look around you and ask God to help you to see and to live and to pray and to love and to reach and to touch and to care and to invest and to invite and to be salt and to be light and to be sugar. Because there are damaged people and broken people and lost people and confused people all around you all over the place. And Jesus is the answer. Amen. I don't know if you caught that. Jesus is the answer. And you just got you just got to realize that they're right there. Unless you just stay at home all day and watch, you know, Bonanza Gunsmoke and Price is Right reruns. <laughs> Unless there's no one else in your life and you don't get out. And I, I want you to know there are people right there. They're within your reach. There's, there's people close to you all over the place. Well, I don't agree with them and they're sinners. You, you better watch. You've been sent. You're on a mission from God. And don't be weird about it. But if you do something for God, if you, if you respond to God sending you, God will go with you. And now you just show yourself as kind and love them and care for them and show interest in them and pray for them and pray about them and invest in their life and invite them to church. And just be there. Just be there. They're right there. That's what I want you to know. God has sent you. And you're like, I don't want to move to Africa. You don't have to move to Africa. They're right there. You know, sometimes I have a problem with us raising money and training teams and going overseas. And we haven't done a really good job yet of even going across the street. And he said to go take this good news, beginning right where you are, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the other uttermost parts of the earth. I think we've got to do a good job right, right reach of where you live, where you work, where you play, where you shop, all of those things. And sometimes I look at this all and I study church and I study what's going on in church. This is where I was at last weekend. I was visiting a wonderful church out in Dallas, Gateway Church, and just watching them in action, watching how they do things. And I study programs and I study leadership and that type of thing because we want to do the very best job that we can for the kingdom of God. And this is what, one of the things I've come to realize that in church world, it, it, there's not a lack of methods. And there's not a lack of programs. There are methods galore. And there are programs galore. Here's what I think we lack. Not methods, but motivation. And not programs, but passion. And here's something that moves me. Okay, that's what motivation does. It moves you. Here's something that moves me. And I believe this. We believe this here. We believe that. And follow this. Everybody is going to spend forever somewhere. Everybody. Say that, everybody. Everybody's going to spend forever somewhere. There's a real heaven and there's a real, real hell. And get this. There are people that are away from God that matter to God. And that should matter to us. Did you hear me? We shouldn't overlook them and say, man, what a mess they are. No, there are people that are confused and damaged and broken and lost and they're away from God and they matter to God 
and it should matter to us. Can I get an amen out of anybody here this day? And love then seeks to close that gap. I'm going to read a quote to you this morning. I never thought I'd quote this guy, especially in church. His name is Penn Gillette. How many of you have seen Penn and Teller? Okay, Penn is the one who talks. He's a big one. He's like six seven, and then Teller never talks. And they're they're comedians, and they're very funny, and they're magicians. And Penn is a musician as well. Uh, very crass at times. I've been in Vegas for years. Um, but Penn, you need to know this, is a very outspoken atheist. Very outspoken atheist. A couple of years ago, a Christian businessman who's also a friend of his sided in with him close enough and said, Penn, I want to give you a Bible. And you're an intelligent man, and he's very, very smart. He said, I want you to just read the Bible. And Penn responded shortly after, and this is on a video blog, and it is available online. You could go here. I'm going to read transcript of this. And remember, he's an atheist. He said, I've always said, you know, that I don't respect people who do not proselytize. Do you know what that is? It means I'm wanting wanting to get you to believe what I believe. He said, I don't respect people who do not proselytize. If you really believe it, why don't you want others to believe it? He said, I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell, this is an atheist talking. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize saying, just, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to, listen to this, how much do you have to hate somebody? How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize them? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and then not tell them that? I mean, if I believed that beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming to hit you and you didn't believe it and that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point in time where I will tackle you. And this is more important than that. Did you hear what he said? He said that if you don't share, it's like you hate people. And it's the love of God that motivated God and sent his son and sent his spirit and now sends his people. He says, gather close to me and I, I want to put things in your life and I want, to, I want to fix you, I want to heal you, I want to help you, but I want to put things in you so that I can use you. And he sends us back out and I think it's not a method, it's not a program. There's got to be some motivation in our heart that there's a real heaven and a real hell. And if we don't catch people alive, the devil will catch people alive. And he'll keep them. And God is wanting us out of his love to reach out to people. And you don't have to go the other side of the world. They're right there. They're just right there. I dare you. I dare you to go. And you don't have to go very far. The Bible says that in 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that we're Christ's ambassadors. God making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. I want us to take a moment. Y'all still with me? Everybody perk up, pinch your neighbor, do something here. We've we've only got about another hour and a half and then we'll be done. Okay, so (laughs) joking. I think part of it is how we think about people. How we think and how we refer to people, follow me on this, that are not, quote, Christian I think we need to reframe it a little bit in how we refer in our, in our own thinking, in our own hearts. 
Um, we use phrases like unchurched, lost, and these are all, they're all accurate. Unbelievers, non-Christians. But I don't know, lately it's kind of when I hear these things, even when I catch myself saying these things, I hope that there's no non-Christian, unbeliever, lost person in range when I use those phrases because I, I wonder sometimes how it makes them feel. I think it smacks of spiritual superiority and spiritual inferiority and that there's some kind of outcast, some kind of outsider. We're insiders, but you're outsiders and uh, you're unpeople and it's us versus them kind of thing. And I want us to look at this just for a second and, and, and maybe reframe our thinking on this, okay? Scripture clearly, you still with me? Scripture clearly does refer to them as lost. Are you with me? Or does it? Let's look. Luke chapter 15. And y'all really pay attention to me on this because I'm trying my best to articulate something that is going to bring just a subtle shift in your thinking that I think the light of the gospel brings to us. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus fired off three parables. Parable of the lost sheep. Parable of the lost coin. And the parable of the lost son. Now, help me. What is the common element in all three of those? Lost. So scripture does say lost. So we've got the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And here's the thing. We look and on immediate impact, we see what is the common element. We see that they're lost. But I think there's something else to be seen. And what we see here is somebody, somebody sought after them, somebody who cared deeply about them and recovered them. So we see, we see a, a good shepherd leaving the 99, tucking them all in to go find the, the one, the one that was what? Was lost. And then we see the lady, a desperate housewife, a desperate lady who's lost this coin. And if you read in Luke 15 what she did, she lit up her house, which was very expensive to do because she had to use this extra oil. She swept and cleaned the entire place. Their floors were were dirt in in this era. And she's sweeping the whole place to find this lost coin. Now follow this with me. And then you've got the heartbroken father who's just watching and waiting and finally welcomes his son. And so I want to suggest to you this morning that it's not just the common element that all three are lost. Here's the thing. All three of them, somebody is seeking after them. Somebody who cares deeply for them is, is looking to find them and to recover them. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are those who are lost. And so this is what I think happens. Follow this. Hope you can get this. If they're lost, but then somebody cares deeply is sent or goes, I think they change categories from just being lost to being sought. See, they were just lost. 
blank, period. What category? Lost. My parents don't look, they're sinners. And they're just there. But then when we heed the call that we're sent, when we sent and we care deeply and we go looking, they're no longer just lost. They're now sought. The cold case file has now been opened. And they have a better chance of being found. They have a better chance of being saved. They have a better chance of being restored. If our attitude toward them is not just, they're lost, they're outside, we're inside, they're sinners, they're unbelievers. Instead of that, why don't we care deeply and follow the, the call of God that's on our life that we're sent so that the lost are not just lost, but we open up that cold case file and say, we're on this case. And you know who will join us? The Holy Spirit will join us on that as well. I hope you get that. I dare you to go. I dare you to care deeply. I dare you to seek. I dare you to reach. I dare you to touch those that are so close to you. In, in 2 Kings, and I've got to hurry here, but in 2 Kings, do you remember there were four lepers? And they were in Samaria. And Samaria had been besieged or captured uh, from the outside by Syria. There's Syria in the news again. And Because they've cut off supply lines, the city is starving. The menu is not good, folks. The scripture says that the menu is donkey's head and dove's dung. How many of you know, I think I'm going to pass today, okay? And so here's these lepers that nobody's going to share with anyway. And they say, guys, there's four of them. They say, guys, if we stay here, we're just going to starve. But the camp of the Syrians is right out here. We can go at least say, hey, could you feed us or something? And worst case, they're just going to kill us. We're going to die either way. So they said, let's go. So they go, and because of leprosy, they're missing parts on their body. Their bodies are hindered and hobbled, and they're going out. And the scripture says that as they went out uh, across the desert there in the middle of the night, that it woke the Syrians. God made it to sound like chariots and armies coming against the Syrians and the Syrians fled their camp and left everything there. So here comes, here comes the four lepers just coming in and they find all this stuff. I mean, there is food everywhere and an icy machine. (laughs) True. No, it's not. In my little mind there was, and they're just loading up and they're eating. They're just gorging themselves with it, with all this food. They're hoarding, they're putting it all away. And then all of a sudden, uh, they said this in Second Kings 7, 9. Finally, they said to each other, this is not right. This is not right. This is a day of good news. And we aren't sharing it with anyone. We aren't sharing it with anyone. Look at me. We have the good news. And if you're not sharing it with anyone, it's not right. It's wrong. It's just wrong. In our day, and I want to show you just real quick. In our cultural, societal dynamics that we live in today, what is the most effective way? How can we really reach and touch people that are, that are nearby us? And I wrote this ahead of time because it takes too long to write out here. Relational, invitational evangelism. Will you say that with me? Relational, invitational evangelism. It explains itself, but it means this, that there are people that you have some relationship with. You know them. You go in their business. They come in your business. They're your neighbor. They're your friend. They're at the gym, whatever. You see them every so often, whatever. You have some kind of relationship with them. And invitational is that you invite them. This is 
Studies show this is the number one most effective way in North America that gets people into a relationship with Jesus. Relational, invitational evangelism. It means that people that you have a relationship with, you actually invite them to church. And I'm just going to say this to you. This is not about building attendance. We've got attendance. It's not even about that. And, and we count attendance we, because behind every number is a person. Behind every person is a story. Are you following me? But I would tell you that people that you have some relationship with, y'all with me this morning? People that you have some relationship with, you actually invite them to come to Meadowbrook. And it's not about Meadowbrook, it's about what Meadowbrook is about. And it's, it's, it's a safe place to come and to bring. And I just want to say this. And as you invite people, you can rest assured we're going to make our very best efforts all the time. And it's also going to be a safe place that you're never going to have to worry about you being embarrassed or your friend being embarrassed that you bring. Hey, I've been at churches before and I ain't inviting nobody to this. And then you'd have a couple of weeks seemed okay and you're thinking about inviting. No, because sure as world I bring somebody, that lady's going to explode again. You know, and it's just... Or guy. Relational, invitational evangelism. It's just you being you and just you can, you can relax in it all and, and listen to me. You don't have to get all uptight about it. It's relational. You don't have to ruin a relationship over it and then all of a sudden go, okay, there's something I've been wanting to tell you. Just hold still. You know, you don't, you don't have to do that. It's just you coming and going. And God will help you. God will set it up. God will prepare the way. God will give you the courage and you'll find the opportunity. Here's what the studies show. Pew Research, Lifeway Research recently came out with fresh numbers on this. Eight out of 10, it's actually 82% of people that would be invited to church would be somewhat likely to attend if invited. 67% said, forget somewhat likely, I would come if a friend or family member invited me to church. 48% of church attending Christians have never invited anybody to church. And I just want to encourage you and I want to challenge you. Why don't you make it your goal? Don't wait for this, but make it your goal that by Christmas, by Christmas, I'm going to put this in action that I can get at least one person through relational invitational evangelism. I want to get them to church. I want to get them to church. And a wonderful thing, and I'm not promoting this, but I'll tell you what I'm excited about. Meadowbrook Christmas Live be a perfect opportunity to, to get, get folks in. Hey, come on and bring them and show them. We believe that everybody spends forever somewhere. And there are people away from God that matter to God and it should matter to us. And, and can I tell you where they are? They're right there. Today at lunch, tomorrow at work, they're going to be people just right Right there. And you don't have to spaz out. You don't have to do something weird. And I'm going to say it again. Please don't do anything weird. And if you're bent on doing something weird, please do not mention Meadowbrook. <laughs> I can give you a list of some other churches, but don't, don't. <laughs> just joking. They're right there. They're right there. They're right there. And can I say this? Aren't you glad at some point somebody opened up the conversation, invited you, and said something to you. Somebody did that for you. Romans chapter 10, I'll just go through this real quick, and then we're going to finish up. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved is opposite of what? Lost. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, how shall they call 
in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Not me preacher, you, you preacher. And how shall they preach unless they are what? Sent. You are sent. And I dare you to go. You don't have to go off to Bible school. You don't have to change nothing. Just you. Right where you are. They're right there. And I dare you to go, to care deeply, and to reach and touch. And use relational, invitational evangelism. I have one other thing I want to share, and then we'll wrap this up. I have one other final dare. I dare you to pray. The Bible says that you do not have because you do not ask. I talk to people all the time. They'll say this, this, this. And I go, but have you prayed about it? No. You do not have because you do not ask. Hey, we actually batted around. Hey, should we do this big prayer campaign and special emphasis prayer and have people have special meetings here at the church? And here's what the Lord put in my heart. We're praying at church. And there's opportunities at church. This is where the prayer level needs to come up. In your life, in your world, in your house. In your car, where you work, where you live, where you play. You need, to, you need to not, you know, tomorrow when you go to work, when you pull up, this should not be your prayer. I hope so-and-so is not here. I hope they're sick. I'm so tired. Of them. I don't want them to hurt you. you know, I hate this place. God, you, hush all that up. Why don't you do this? Before you get out of the car, I want you to actually look at the place where you work and say, God, would you go with me today here? God, would you do something new and different here? Would, would, God, would you change the atmosphere in in this place? Would you bless this place? Would, and the people that are difficult, give me grace for them today. Would you, would you help me? Would you prosper me in this, in this place today? And when you go shopping, pray. God, help me have self-control. <laughs> help me have favor and deals. Seriously. Help me be blessed and be a blessing as I go. When you come and go from your neighborhood, pray, safety. Peace, blessing you, drive past the house. Don't gossip about them. Hey, they're really going through it because he did that and she did that. But Why don't you say, God, speak peace to that house. Help those people and those kids. And just pray and just up the level of prayer. And when you pull in your driveway and you back out of your driveway, I've done this for decades. Peace to this house. Come and go in peace to this house. When you lie down at night, when you rise up in the morning, when you go wherever you go, you're fishing, you're at the library, you're taking a shower, whatever it would be, just these little prayers. There's some people that have modeled, no, you got to have this three-hour prayer thing locked in the holy chamber or whatever. Hey, I believe in seasons of prayer like that, but you know what? It's a life of prayer. It's a life of prayer. Wherever you would go, you're calling upon the name of the Lord. You've seen these little Bluetooth things that the people, anybody got one? Is this old technology now? You know... The little earpiece phone, keeping it in your ear all the time? Well, they make those. (laughs) And here's my point. Wherever you're going, you can stay on the line with God. Whoever you're interacting with, hey, this, 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 this. You can be be talking to them, dealing with things, and God's still on the line. And as soon as you turn around, go, whoa, that was a close one. Thank you for helping me, Lord, you know. But wherever you go, just make it a life of prayer. And here's the deal. If you'll raise the level of prayer in your life, look at me. Watch what God will do. Watch what God will do. I dare you to pray. Matter of fact, I dare you to love, to stop judging others, to judge yourself, to forgive, to receive forgiveness from God, 
forgive yourself. I dare you to believe. I dare you to be a man or woman of God. I dare you to to be a person with convictions. I dare you to be a worshiper. I dare you to cheer up. I dare you to go. And I dare you to pray. I dare you. And with God's help, you're brave enough to do all of this. You'll change your world and you'll change the people that are around you as a result. Did you get anything at all out of this today? Thank you, Lord.